0: Hey, I'm Rick Seback, and I'm at Robert Morris University, and I'm going to be on this great podcast called Where's the News? You should tune in.
1: Whoa, that introduction was a little different. Mm. That wasn't me saying, welcome to Where's the News. Who was that guy?
2: Well, John, that was beloved Pittsburgh icon and documentary filmmaker and producer at WQED,
1: Rick Seaback. That was Rick Seaback? That was Rick Seaback. Oh my gosh. Nick, did you know we had Rick Seaback on the show? Yeah, I was there. I I was there. Anyway. Somehow the only one that remembers it, allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't caught on already, uh, we had Rick Seaback on the show. I got to say, super kind guy. Lots of interesting knowledge. That's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Why is that? Because
3: whenever I'm on a podcast, whether it be this or for Stranded or have an opinion, and we have a guest on, nothing makes me happier than when the guest talks. And you can... And when I say that, I mean, they don't... Obviously, if you have someone on your podcast, they're going to talk to some extent. But I mean, the way that every answer he gave was basically just leading into different kinds of stories that's why we have people on shows like this we don't no one wants us to have a guest on and like us talk and drive the conversation because he kind of drove that conversation in a way the things he said sparked ideas in our minds and that took us to ask questions that i don't think we planned on asking if you were to perhaps leak our questions doc to the world before we started interviewing him, i mean it was great it was insightful and In the interview, we obviously talked about how I'm not from here, but, I mean, everything he said I was hooked on, and I'm not even from the area that much. Well, I'm not. I'm from from Erie. And everything he said I cared about, and I'm not even from here and had no reason to. And that's the same way I feel about the work he makes. So just a great—that just shows how good of a storyteller he is. So that was one of my favorite things I've ever done.
1: Right. I I mean, I I feel like— and. This is a weird way to put this, and I I don't mean it in a negative way. Um, As we were talking with him, I couldn't help but think, I was like, this is what it feels like watching WQED. Like, it sort of took me back, right? Like, almost in the sense of a kid, but not really, right? Because we talked about, like, you know, stories that wouldn't interest me as a kid but interest me now. But I felt like I was going away with knowledge as I would – as a kid watching WQED or PBS or anything like that. And uh, I don't know, that was, that was really interesting. Like, I feel like I learned a lot through that and not just about him. And that was what I think made this interview so special to me. Um, Typically when we do interviews, we would replace one of our segments with the interview. But as you mentioned, Rick talked a lot and I'm grateful for it. And he told a lot of really fascinating stories So we decided, you know, it's smart for us to sort of chalk this up as his own episode. This is going to be a Rick Seaback feature episode. And we hope you enjoy. And we hope that, similar to what I was saying, you learned something. And I think that Rick would hope the same thing. So tune in. And they are tuned in. Enjoy.
3: All right, welcome to Where's the News. We have a very big guest today. Um, a Pittsburgh legend, John Blinn, I'll let you do the honors since you brought him on this show. I'm Sorry. glad that you let me start it off, but yeah, I think you I mean, deserve to be the one to We need to change it up every man. now and then, Nick, right? It can't be me <laughs> introducing right, it right. all the time. They need my loving voice once in a
1: while. Today to we are them. joined by Rick Seaback. Rick is a pretty well-known producer in the Pittsburgh era. If you live in Pittsburgh or, you know, anywhere nearby, and I put the Pittsburgh in there, right, because it's, you has got to toss co- in the yinzer culture. I was going to correct you on it, but I know what you were doing. <laughs> but if you live in Pittsburgh... You've definitely seen his work before. The man has tons of documentaries. I think I first heard of him through Kennywood memories Mm -hmm. and you've heard his voice voice before, Rick, can you you just toss in that, that gorgeous voice that you have into that microphone right there? Just give us a nice, hello, (laughs) what a start. Hey, hello. I, uh,
0: I feel somewhat guilty because I asked, could I wear shorts? But then when i heard it was video i thought no i should look like an adult <laughs> but this is only the second time i've put long pants on during the pandemic
3: <laughs> <laughs> can, can we ask what the first time was um
0: you know what there's a a painter here in town linda barnacott she does a lot of paintings um they're sort of impressionistic almost and a lot of pittsburgh nostalgia kind of stuff and she's always very nice to me because i helped her make a contact with kennywood and she's painted a lot of paintings of kennywood And she decided she wanted to do a painting of the original hot dog shop. And she wanted me coming out the one door. (laughs) And so she said it's supposed to be Christmas time because she was making the painting for that. So she said, could you wear long pants?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Rick, was that your first time being a model for a painting? I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah, very much. Yeah, probably was. Well, Rick, Um, you you mentioned... Pittsburgh nostalgia, when you were talking about that painter. And I think that might be one of the best ways to describe you and what you do. But I want to hear it from you. How would you describe what you do? Um,
0: I, 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 It's funny, because the very first article I ever wrote for Pittsburgh Magazine, uh, which is really scary because it's probably 20 or 25 years ago, was called Why I Hate Nostalgia. Oh, really? Yeah, just because... I hope that what I do isn't nostalgic so much. (laughs) Because I think nostalgic means that you're like pining for the way things used to Uh be. Um, I much more like to think of it as history. Um, And I think the thing is the way we learn history in school is primarily political or military, whereas really history is the history of everything. So the history of an amusement park or a hot dog shop or anything like that is, is legitimately history so um i'm not really pining for things that are gone although i do miss the o especially during the pandemic i I can't tell you how many times i think oh i'm just gonna run down the o and get a hot dog (laughs) and you can't do that anymore (laughs) um but um you know i i think i celebrate uh you know some of the uh things we take for granted here um and uh, I, I mean, I celebrated them first in Pittsburgh. Then we did a couple of statewide programs. We did the Pennsylvania Road Show, and then Pennsylvania Diners and other roadside restaurants. So I was probably a QED about five years at that point. We always sent my shows. We sent Kennywood Memories. We sent you know Holy Pittsburgh, all to PBS, and they would always say, "Well, this is too local, too parochial. Only you people in Western Pennsylvania care about this." And then when I did Pennsylvania Diners, we sent that to PBS and they said, you know what? It doesn't matter if you don't know these specific restaurants. Everybody knows this kind of restaurant. And uh, they said, we're going to air it. They made me cut it from a 90 to a 60, 60 60-minute show from a 90-minute show, but it aired nationally. And in that era, people still played a lot with their clickers. And I think as you click through and you saw the diner stuff, people stopped. We got really great ratings. PBS was really impressed with the ratings we got across the country. So they said, what else would you consider doing on a national scale? So I made a list of like 10 things that I thought would be good. And uh, I think we may have done them all by now. (laughs) Um, So um, since then, since uh, Pennsylvania Diners, and then the first two national, I I did a national show about Fred Rogers first. It was really not connected to these others, but. Then um, I, I, I did uh, ice cream and shore things, an ice cream show and shore things about, I say, non-environmental reasons why people go to the beach. You know, saltwater taffy and the boardwalk and that kind of stuff. And uh, since then, we've sort of gone back and forth. Local show, national show, local show, couple of national shows. We tend to do at least two national shows at the same time when we do them to take advantage of the travel. So if you go to a city to get an amusement park you'd also get a hot dog place so that's the way we've done those things so um i i feel extremely lucky i just you know to get to do this as a career has been really i mean i'm still trying to do
1: it the the pandemic's gotten in the way but how has the pandemic affected what you do i mean you're, you're a very humanistic person if you will like everything you do you tell the stories of these individual peoples in such a unique way. And I feel like you have to really get into their lives and get to know them as you do that. And with a pandemic where you have to separate from people, that's gotta be hard for you. Uh, Yeah, I mean, but I I say
0: I have no complaints. I mean, um, you know, I I like living in my little house. I sit on the front porch a lot. I take my laptop out there and, um, you know, uh, yes, I do miss contact with people and I miss, you know, picking at people's brains um but uh you know I don't want to get sick either right. and I, I said that's, that's that's the weirdly weird thing about all this I think is you know if you get it you don't know whether you're going to get sick for a couple of weeks or you're going to die so um you know um I've been putzing with my phone a lot I uh I've, I've made two hour-long pledge programs since the pandemic began um now I've been talking to our uh education department. They, they've got a huge uh, responsibility. They're supposed to supply so much, uh, you know, content to this national, I mean not national, but a statewide learning network. And uh, they said we could really use some like one to three minute pieces um, that might incorporate some of the stuff you shot for old shows and that kind of thing. So that's what I've been putzing with this week. And uh, I think I'm going to call it things you might want to know about Pittsburgh. And I um, the first one i 'm working on is the Smithfield Street Bridge, mm-hmm. just because I think it's if I were a kid, no one has ever really told me all this stuff or an adult. Right. <laughs> but the Smithfield Street Bridge is our oldest river crossing bridge, and that 's really cool. It was done by the engineer Gustav Lindenthal and it 's a lenticular truss that 's what they call you go through the structure of the bridge when you drive across. And it used to be only half of what it is now, but then they added another half for streetcars. Well, then after the streetcars went away, they made it all for vehicles, um, for you know regular vehicles, cars and trucks. And uh, But the thing that I find interesting is it's on the site of the first bridge. So it's our oldest bridge, but it's also on the site of where the first bridge across the Pittsburgh River ever was. And that was called the Monongahela uh, Bridge. And it was a covered bridge. And in 1845, it burned in the Great Pittsburgh Fire. And then it was replaced. The the stone stanchions remained after the covered bridge burned. And uh, John Roebling, who's one of the great bridge builders of American history, happened to be here because he had helped found the village of Saxenburg. And he built a series of suspension bridges using those stone stanchions that were still there in the river so the bridge that we have now our oldest bridge is the third bridge at that site really and so i think
1: that kind of stuff i i I don't know
0: (laughs) i've learned to like those kind of weird you know factoids about pittsburgh
1: and i think that's what really sort of makes your content special so i think the question i want to ask is How do you find those little nuggets in Pittsburgh that you just want to dive into and share with people? Well, it's funny. (laughs) The first thing is I, I talk to everybody (laughs) and
0: like people say, like, what are you working on? Is it a secret? I, I say, it's never a secret because I want people to tell me things that I don't know. And you know, everybody does have certain little things that they happen to know. And, um, so, uh, I count on that. I, I also count on the librarians at the Pennsylvania Department at the Carnegie Library in Oakland. <laughs> they, they help me a ton. Um, and over the years, I mean, I guess since around 1900, librarians in that department at that library have cut up the newspaper and they put it in little folders. They, they call them the hanging files. And so that's one of when I start a project, I'll say, "Okay, I'm going to do the Smithfield Street Bridge. Do you have a hanging file on the Smithfield Street Bridge?" And you know, uh, find out what they have. And I haven't done that yet, just because I haven't been to the library. <laughs> but you know, uh, that's usually the way I start things. And there's usually a trip to the uh, library and archives at the uh, history center. And then uh, Pitt also has a phenomenal archive. Um, Used to be called the Archives of the Industrial Society, but now it's uh, called—I think it's just called the University of Pittsburgh Archives. It's over in, uh, I guess that's Homewood, Um, sort of, uh, you know, sort of by where the where Braddock Avenue meets Penn. It's in a building back in there.
1: And the way that you go about sharing this research is so unique. It it feels so intimate and like I I feel like I'm truly learning and getting to know the people that you present in your your products and and Garrett's sort of a documentary guy so he might be able to word this question more better than I can Garrett I'll I'll let you take that away
2: yeah so whenever you look at documentaries a lot of people are always turned away by like how some of them can be kind of dry and like information heavy but yours are always very conversational and like upbeat and just friendly I guess is a good word for it I don't mind that (laughs) how did you come up with that style like what inspired that
0: That's a really good question. I don't know. Uh, uh, I guess it's just a product of my personality. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, which makes sense. I mean, I think if you're a writer, you can't stop that from happening. And um, actually, I was just talking to somebody, and the very first documentary I ever made was when I worked for public television in South Carolina. And I made a documentary about the state dance of South Carolina called The Shag. Mm and. I think if you saw it, you would say, well, oh, that's, that's exactly like the things he does here. You know, I mean, it, it may be a little stiffer, just because it was my first time and, you know. Um, and there are things like, I always say, I wish I could redo Holy Pittsburgh, because that was really early on here, and I didn't know how goofy I could be. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I think people appreciate the a little goofiness every now and then. And, it, and it's funny because people will say sometimes, oh, you must have incredible outtakes. And I say, no, you know, usually we'll include the outtake because we think that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the most famous one that one of my editors, Matt Conrad, always makes fun of me for is in, uh, in a hot dog show. Um, we went uh, in New York City. Uh, how can I not remember the name of the place? Uh, down in the village, we, went, we go to the hot dog shop, and we interviewed an old guy there. And sort of in the middle of the interview, uh, right after he blew his nose, (laughs) and so we left that in. (laughs) And Matt Matt always said, you know, no one has ever blown their nose in a Ken Burns documentary. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's it's fun, and it's fun to play with them and to play with the materials you get. And sometimes it's better than you remember, um, you know. So. and it, it's, it's been fun also traveling, you know, to do these national shows. I've been to 48 states. Wow. I only have two left. What are the two that you need? I need North Dakota and
1: Idaho. You know, I was thinking when, when you mentioned that you only had two more, I was like, it's got to be Hawaii and Alaska. That's what mine, so, mine went to. <laughs> <laughs> so how are those the, the last two?
0: Uh, we've just never done a story in either one of those states. <laughs> um no, you know, it's really funny. There was a a, a a guy who used to work at Channel 16. When we had two stations at QED, we had QEX Channel 16. Uh, Jim Weiner was his name. And he now works for the PBS station in Dayton, Ohio. And he's, he said to me one time, he said, the thing I love about your national shows is you always have Alaska or Hawaii. And uh, we do. We, you know, because it's a national show, we think we've got to include those states because, you know, they're part of us. And uh I first went to Alaska, I think, for yeah, for a hot dog program. And I would say that, you know, like my interest in going to Alaska was pretty low. And uh we went to Anchorage. Um <laughs> I always remember what uh David Newell, who was the guy who played Mr. McFeely on Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. I mean he was at the station, you know, all the he, he worked there too. And Mr. Rogers didn't do public appearances like across the country and stuff, or you know, PBS stations. David Newell did all of those as Mr. McFeely. So he'd been everywhere. And I'm sure he's been to all 50 states. And when he, he came into my office one day and he said, I heard you're going to Anchorage. And I said, yeah, we are. We're going to Anchorage. And he goes, I'll tell you what Anchorage is. It's Greensburg with mountains. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... I, I don't know, when we got there to Alaska, I I fell in love with it so much. I don't know, it just, it it surprised me. So we went back uh, for my cemetery special for PBS as well. We went to Fairbanks. Um, We were actually there the first week of July, I think, when when it never got dark, which was pretty cool. We went, for the hot dogs, we went in the winter. We went for the Iditarod. And because it was going to be hot dogs and cold dogs, and <laughs> <laughs> we found a guy that sold reindeer hot dogs uh, on that day that the Iditarod began. And uh, so it was just really, uh, I mean, uh, and then the Hawaii stuff was easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the process of that, I, I mean, you know, I know things about Hawaii that I've never been able to use, Um you know, it's it's farther from uh, San Francisco to Honolulu than it is to New York. From Crazy. from yeah, I mean, it's Hawaii is really far away. In fact, <laughs> it is the most remote place on Earth. It's farther from a mainland than any other islands. It's just out there in the middle of the Pacific, you know, volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've been there, I guess, three times as well, and three and then. Uh, we went back for my pies and bakery show. I did a show about pies and uh, f- a few good pie places and a few great bakeries. And we uh, went to uh, Juneau, which is
1: also pretty cool. With all the travel that you've talked about in mind, we, we did some research. And one thing that really stood out to me was a project that you did in Australia. Oh, that was, okay. Back yeah, here, towards the beginning that, of the No, that's in, that's in South Carolina. That's when I was working in South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you, we, we saw some of the stand-ups that you did there, and you always <laughs> had like a Steve Irwin vibe. <laughs> Can you just tell us a little bit more about that project?
0: Well, I was working in South Carolina, and every spring in Charleston, South Carolina, there's an arts festival called Spoleto. Uh, it was started in Spoleto, Italy. Um, And it was founded by the uh, composer, uh, opera composer, and classical composer Giancarlo Minotti. And I'm not sure how he found Charleston, but after running the Spoleto Arts Festival in Spoleto, Italy for like 10 years, he then brought it to Charleston, where they started to call it the Festival of Two Worlds. And I was living in South Carolina at that time, and I mean, everyone in South Carolina embraced it with such fervor. It was really cool, an international arts festival that brought all kinds of great performers and you know, arts of all sorts uh, to that city. Um, and Charleston itself is a great city. Uh, but then uh, in 1986, Minotti decided to make it the Festival of Three Worlds and it would be in Melbourne, Australia, as well. So um, it was a competition amongst the producers at the Spoleto Festival in Charleston, like, who's going to make the best stories? And you know, the executive producer of that show said, hey, there's going to be a prize for the team that does the best. Well, I, I worked a lot with, and you know, it, this guy was my best friend down there, too, Buck Brinson. He and I worked together on all these little stories about Spoleto. And at the end, they said, hey, Rick and Buck win the prize. It's uh, 28 days in Australia. We're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to Australia for 28 days and covered the festival there and did a 90-minute program about the festival. But Buck had said, let's do a little show about our trip as well. And that's probably what you've seen. is Because uh, I don't think I appear in the 90-minute program about right. the uh, arts festival. But uh, we did a thing called the Slightly Wacky Aussie DOCO. Yes, and that's
1: what it is. I didn't want to butcher the, the, the name of the documentary. I was
0: wondering
3: I was if you were going to pull the trigger on trying to say that. Or
1: not. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Did you actually see the whole thing? We didn't see the whole thing, but we, were, we just saw bits and pieces of yeah, it. And I was like, I have
0: to ask him about this. No, I mean, at the beginning of the show, I say uh, Australians think it's funny that when we see that word, we'd say Aussie, but they say Aussie. And so that's that's how the show begins. You know, when Australians see this word, they don't say Aussie, Aussie, They say Aussie. And I referenced an old TV show Aussie and Harriet. It's like Aussie from that from that show Aussie and Harriet. And uh, you know, so anyway, at that point I guess I was I, I was I was at South Carolina ETV 10 years. And there were a couple of guys there that went <laughs> about 5 years before that we had made a pact that if anyone got their 10-year pin, the other guys would kill him. (laughs) (laughs) So I was the only one that got a 10-year pin. Oh, man. (laughs) But one of them had moved to Denver, and uh, he was working for the PBS station in Denver, and uh, he called me one day and he said, Rick, there's an ad in Broadcasting Magazine that you should answer. And I said, why? And he said, it's in Pittsburgh. And I said, oh, do I want to go back to Pittsburgh? because I had grown up in Bethel Park. and He said, you never see a big station like WQED advertising for a producer. He said, uh, you, should, you should send them a tape. So I sent them the slightly wacky Aussie Daco. So I, I say, that's what got me my job here. Um, and it was a very hard decision. My station there had just sent me to Australia for a month. And now I'm going to say, hey, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, Pittsburgh's offered me a job. Um, and so it was a really hard decision. But then once I got here, uh, it was okay. It was it was the right decision. Um, and having been away, I'd been away for five years of school in North Carolina, and then eleven years in South Carolina. So sixteen years away from Pittsburgh. Although I came home all the, every year for Christmas. Um, it uh, when I got here, I, I realized that you know there were so many things that people didn't know about the city or never bothered to learn about the city that were really great and that, you know, I thought the city was far cooler. And I I came in 87 to WQED, which was not a very good time for Pittsburgh. Like, that's when all the steel mills are shutting down or had just shut down and the city was pretty depressed. But then in the middle of all that sort of terrible stuff, Rand McNally named Pittsburgh the most livable city in America. And that was like, what? (laughs) 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 So, uh, you know, but... There were other people that felt like I did, that like, this is a really cool city. And uh, I don't know, just last night, because someone had mentioned it to me, I don't know, you know these, uh, what is it, the uh, Barstool book? Mm-hmm. The guy does pizza? Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he just did like three Pittsburgh pizza places. And I, w- I was so delighted by it. His kind of reaction was like, wow, this city's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I really like it. <laughs> um so uh but uh you know i i feel privileged to have been able to do what i've done but i want to keep doing it too so
1: you know i'd say it's obvious you're very passionate about pittsburgh yeah and nick grew up in erie whereas garrett and i were a little bit closer to pittsburgh so we would spend summers in kennywood and you know get those I, I i would always go with my grandmother to the strip district for lunch every now and then in the summer and like that nick didn't have that as much. So, Nick, I mean... I
3: feel like I'm being pitied
1: right now. <laughs> well, I just want to ask you. I mean, we got the man here himself who... You're, you're right. ...probably knows the most about Pittsburgh. Is there anything you want to ask him? Oh, that's really put me on the spot.
0: <laughs> Wait, well, you know what? I don't know if you said, in, in, I just... What? I guess it's two years ago now I did... My first Nevi show was a short history of Route 88. And I grew up right off Route 88 in Bethel Park. Um, But in the process of doing that, I learned tons about Route 88, and actually, I think we mentioned it briefly in the show, we had originally done a whole section of, you know, early history of the road, but it started in Erie originally, Um, and then uh, as numbers became more common, at first roads had names, so like Route 19, you may know, is the Perry Highway.
3: Unfortunately, yes. No, I hate, <laughs> see, that. I hate
0: that road. <laughs> oh, see, I can remember my dad's glee when 79 opened. He <laughs> was like he's so happy he could get to Pima Tuning quicker. You know, but I always had great fondness for Route 19. <laughs> and my... if I drive up to Pima Tuning, where my brother lives now, I still like to take 19. I mean, I may take 79 to Grove City, but then I want to get over on 19. Just because it's fun to be on that two lane road that, you know, has a great history. <laughs> right.
3: Am I still on the spot now? Yeah. Still I'm on still the on the spot. I mean, Gary well, yeah, was I giving learned, you a little time I, to think. I know, I know, that's what I was trying to do there was think, <laughs> but you're, and that's not just because you're two feet away from me, but you're such a good storyteller. I was even thinking about that. Isn't Randy um, Bauman from uh, Erie too?
0: Whom? Do you know Randy Bauman? DVE, WDVE. I, think, the I know was? the
3: name. I couldn't tell okay. you if he was from Erie or not, though. Yeah, he is from Erie. I know um, Ray Petlin. One oh, of the sorry. weathermen. He went. He was in Erie when I was a kid. Now I, I believe he's still down here, isn't he? He's doing the weather for Kids. Yeah, the, I he believe. he was in Erie. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of Pittsburgh talent used to be in Erie. It's like the breeding ground, I guess. Okay. Um, but I don't have a question ready, but I'm gonna talk until I find the question. That works. <laughs> that, um, works. <laughs> that works. <laughs> I have my That's questions, the... <laughs> but none of them were. How would you? What would you ask him about Pittsburgh? I want to know,
0: like, what's a sports guy doing during the pandemic?
3: Um anxiously waiting
0: is, is is anything going on on campus are there any just sports the interview um <laughs> no, uh, basketball- which is a mr rogers technique right
3: yeah <laughs> um basketball is starting in november but here them- on campus um well they, the ncaa said they were permitted to start oh. in november rmu and their conference haven't said anything yet oh okay. so we're not sure but that is the first light at the end of the tunnel of hopefully us emerging from the tunnel um, sooner rather than later um that's the best way I could describe that um but I mean just I've been trying to watch as many of your productions I guess you should say as I could in this last week here, building up unfortunately um I had a lot of work to do from a school standpoint so I, I didn't get through all of them but I tried to watch at least the first 10 minutes and get the vibe and it I watched your uh, Kennywood one specifically last night where you talk about how you had the excess footage Uh, oh those
0: are neby shows yeah
3: yeah. you had excess footage from another piece you did on kennywood and you talked about how people in this documentary are now the baby you see here is now 30 and might have kids of her own (laughs) these people might have passed on these people might be you know in their 60s 70s and they're in their 20s and young and in love here I mean, and you earlier you said you don't want to try to get that nostalgic feeling. But in a way, when I was watching that, I've never been to Kennywood because I'm not a big amusement park guy. I know you've done a lot of work there, so I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, <laughs> I, but but I've I have been to an
0: amusement park in many years myself, I mean, <laughs> except I go to Kennywood usually for Christmas. It's a good they, time. What's Christmas like in Kennywood? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen this year. They, they called it, uh, I guess they called it uh, Kennywood Lights. But I remember for many years you would go to Hartwood Acres and drive through light displays. Well, at Kennywood, they put those light displays up and you walked through them, which was really great. Right. It maybe, was really excellent.
1: Maybe we'll get Nick out there. For, for I've got not cool. not my they're question, not, too. Yeah, and that's not, why to back to They're not going to do
0: fright nights and they're not going to do uh,
1: Christmas lights this year. We'll get you out there one day, Nick. But anyway, let's toss it back I to you. I had the question for a while now, but now, <laughs> we're, just, ask, now we're just I've never going. been to Kennywood right. um, Christmas. But,
3: I mean, you made me a person that's not from here, that's never been to the subject at hand had to attend that place. I mean, I was almost yearning for those days of Kennywood summers in the 80s almost. Hey. And I was feeling something <laughs> watching that. Like, I felt an emotion of, like, you know, nostalgia almost. I mean, well. and how do you... Present the, your subject matter in a way of someone that might not even be able to directly relate to the subject matter. How can you convey that sort of emotion in them? What do you think you do that can allow people to feel something, even if they've never been to the places you're t- uh, talking about? Wow. Um, and that was the longest build up to a question in the history of <laughs> build ups to a question.
0: No, that was fine. No, no, I,
3: and, and I appreciate it.
0: Um, I, it. It's not like something I plan. And um, I'll tell you that I, I realized early on my only technique that might, I think, you know, have a thing there is I always encourage my crews to have as much fun as they can. I don't, know, I don't want people to ever think we're doing something serious because it's more fun if we're having fun and we're joking with them, and you know, it's not like we are making something serious. We're there to have fun and to you know capture some of the energy. Uh, if we can on video. Now, up until these things that we've done, the, you know, these two hour-long pledge shows that I did, I've never shot any of my shows. I mean, I work with a cameraman because that's the way the union set up a QED. We use union cameramen in order to do broadcast product. So, I mean, and I love that. I love the, and that's what I miss during the pandemic is I miss that, uh, you know, uh, the mix. I I, I miss the uh, collaboration, um, and even putting my little pledge shows together, I had to work with an editor who would help me. I mean, I'd shoot things on my front porch, and I would email them to him, and you know, he would get them into the the avid editing system that we have at QED and stuff like that. But. Even so, during that like assembly period, I just I, I I like I had waves of nostalgia for like oh it's so great to have somebody to work <laughs> with and to, you know different point of view and how should we do this and you know is this too much should we cut that out that kind of thing so um, but you know uh, those Kennywood shows that I did I did two shows I mean I did I I set out to do one. And then I realized we haven't used you know, half of this footage. <laughs> uh, we shot at Kennywood, I think, I think I say in the show, 24 or 25 days in yeah. the summer of 1988. And uh, I fell. I, uh, I was <laughs> coming out the back door stairs of QED, carrying a case of San Pellegrino water. And I missed the bottom step, and I fell. I mean, it wasn't like a big dramatic fall. Even it was just like a, you know, I just sort of fell forward. But then, as I started to get up, having broken some bottles and all of that, I realized I couldn't move my left leg, at all. And of course, I thought, oh, I'm paralyzed for life. <laughs> um, and it was nine thirty at night. There was no one around QED, and so I called nine. I had my phone and I called nine one one. And they said, you know, we'll send an ambulance. And it turned out I had ruptured my quadriceps tendon, which connects your thigh muscle to your knee. Um, And I had to be in the hospital for seven weeks because the little Pittsburgh house that I live in, the bathroom and the bedroom are on the second floor. And I wasn't allowed to bend my knee or put weight on my left leg for six or seven weeks. And I couldn't go up those stairs. You know at all let alone to go to the bathroom or to go to bed so i had to go to a nursing home and i did a show about that too called my seven weeks in mcgee but i was still recovering last year i'm still recovering um and i thought what can i do that won't require me to be going out with the crew and shooting and i thought like oh you have all this footage and so i said to the editors at qed can we load all those 120-some 20-minute tapes from Kennywood, and let me see what's there that we didn't use. Well, there was a lot. And so we made that Kennywood summer, and then people loved it. But I said, you know, I, I've been aware of that for a long time. One thing about Pittsburghers, and it's interesting to say you're not that big a amusement park fan, but Pittsburghers'
1: love for Kennywood is astounding. That's we we've been trying to tell Nick that, right? Nick's, and uh, not to. You're acting uh, like you're talking about your four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really true. I mean,
0: like there are like you know, there's a couple or three or four websi- I mean, uh, Facebook groups about Kennywood. Right. I assume, I'm, I'm like, you know, can anyone really be interested in this? <laughs> you know, it's such minutiae about Kennywood. So um, I made a second one called "Don't Stand Up," <coughs> and. Um, I enjoyed both of them. And they do have a sort of, uh, probably more so than Kennywood Memories, even more of a nostalgic feel. Right. Um, but, you know, and, and I actually used even one of the other stations, Channel 4 Channel 2 or somebody, was doing these promotional things where they made everybody wave. And so people were waving at us all the time, and we hated that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized, I said, that's kind of fun. So I started collecting those, and I made a separate bin That had all the waving in it and that's how we ended the show with you know all these people waving from 1988
1: and I kind of want (laughs) to wave back A lot of your documentaries uh, focus on food, right? Which if Pittsburghers love one more thing Anything more than Kennywood. I'm gonna say it's food Um, So I mean this may be sort of a cliche question if you will, but I have to ask Where's the best place you've ever eaten? Whoa. And let's start with NRA. You know our...
0: That's a Food Network question.
3: It's <laughs> a, a loaded question. No, it's just like,
0: well, yeah, I mean, and you didn't even ask it, like, what's your favorite place in Pittsburgh? <laughs> well, that's even let's, more let's intimidating. Pittsburgh. It's just that I think for some reason, you know, like when the Food Network started, they, they, they adopted that superlative thing. That's why when I did pies and bakeries, I didn't make it the best pie places and the best bakeries. I said, a few good pie places and a few great bakeries. <laughs> and even back as far as a hot dog program, I called it a hot dog program, not the hot dog program, <laughs> because I knew it wasn't going to be definitive. How could any food thing ever be definitive? Um, so uh, if you wanted to go out to dinner tonight, I probably rec- I have a, a little Thai place that I love in Blahnox called Maynam Thai. Um in non-pandemic times it only seats 8. Oh wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they don't have a lot of room for social distancing in their little tiny restaurant. Um I think they have put the, they had a table out front even before the pandemic. Um, and I actually posted a picture. I went there for lunch one day with uh, Manette Seat, another producer from QED. And we sat at that table. I said, it feels like I'm in Paris in Blahn-Ox. Um <laughs> I don't even know if you guys have been to Blahnox. <laughs> but um, it. Uh, I love that. And I, I get things like that, I, that I really love places, you know, certain places, and I get attached to them. But I can't say that there's one special place that I love more. I mean, when I... First came back to Pittsburgh, and I was living in Bethel Park. We went to Pasta 2 a ton, which is, you know, sort of right by the main gate to uh, uh, South Park. But uh, at that point, it wasn't even there. It was over closer to where the Tennyson Lounge is. Um, And uh, so, you know, um, things change. Um, Best, I mean, it's funny because... Just today, in my Facebook memories, <laughs> it was six years ago today, with the crew, we were, we were doing pies and bakeries in New England. And I had been there. Uh, I did two shows for PBS on breakfast around the country. And we did a very fancy hotel in New Hampshire. Um, and I had been there. I, take my, I took my mom there for her 80th birthday. And because my sister recommended it so highly, and my sister knew it as a Girl Scout. So I took my mom there, we had a great time, and I had lobster hash with a poached egg on top, and I just thought it was one of the best breakfasts I'd ever had. So when I was putting this breakfast show together, I thought, oh, it might be fun to go and see that because it's a grand old hotel, and um, so we went there. And in the process, uh, you know, we would ask people who were eating breakfast if we could talk to them. And it was a big family at a long table. They were all there for a wedding. And not on camera, but just sort of like shooting the bull with everybody. There was the woman who was sitting at the head of the, or not at the head of the table, but closest to me. I said, so you guys come here you know, because it's so great. She goes, well, we really come here because we're close to the Beach Plum. And I said, what's the Beach Plum? And she said, it's this place about a mile away where they have the best lobster rolls in the world. And I said, well, I said, I've been to Red's in Wiscasset, Maine. When we did a show on sandwiches, we went to Red's. She goes, we've been to Red's too. This is better. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) She goes, you guys should go there for lunch. And I said, we'll do that because we're doing a show on breakfast. When breakfast is over, we're done. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we went to the Beach Plum. And then again, when we were up there for pies and bakeries, we stopped and it was really only the sound guy glenn and me who had been there before but the other two guys were just blown away as well and you sit at a picnic table it's outside it's kind of looks like a uh it looks like a dairy queen or something you know where you go up and get a it looks like page dairy mart on the south side <laughs> with lobster <laughs> and they make uh, lobster rolls which is like a hot dog bun full of lobster meat or and then he had like three kinds of soup. They had clam chowder with lobster, lobster bisque, and you know uh, all, all different kinds of great soups too. So uh, it, that was six years ago today, and I remember. And I sent that to those guys, each of them, just to say, hey, remember six years ago today, we were at the Beach Plum, and <laughs> I remember, Glenn, the sound guy, got a phone call while we were sitting there, and it was a producer here in Pittsburgh asking some question or something. And he goes, oh, no, we've stopped for lunch. We're good. And he said, yeah, we're we're having lobster rolls. And he goes, "Uh, no, no. uh, But he said, she said to him, please tell me you can't see the ocean. And he said, we can't see it, but it's right across the street. (laughs) There was a state park right across the street, and there were dunes preventing you from seeing the ocean. (laughs) But it was pretty great. And so, um, I don't know. I tend to find that places like that I like um, more than fancy restaurants. I, I love a, you know, I, I love a a real independent, family-owned barbecue place, you know, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. My, my sister moved to North Carolina three years ago. She sent me a uh, North Carolina state magazine that had 32 hot dog places in North Carolina. And I thought, like, you know... I don't know if we have that many in Pennsylvania, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, I, I've been to many of those. I take that with me every time I
1: go and see if I can get closer to any one of them, um, just cross off the whole list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, while we're on the the topics of favorites and food related things, this, uh, this is a question for our mutual friend, Jack O'Brien. He was watching us, you know, watch documentaries of you and he figured out you're from Bethel park. And he's from Baldwin, so he goes, John, he said, I just need you to do this one thing for me. Ask him if he, prefer, if he prefers Snyder's or Turner's Tea. And I don't know why he asked me that, but he said, he lives right by me. He's got to say Snyder's. And I said, well, I'll ask him for you. Well, the thing is, I have great connections to Schneider's. that, uh, I think it's Schneider's,
0: not Snyder's. Schneider's.
1: It's, it's written down.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a guy who used to work for Isleys, <laughs> and I did a lot of shows about Isleys, um, and he, he ended up working for Schneider Dairy. And I say, you know, he was in his 80s, I would think, and he would just show up at QED on the, exactly when you needed him, and he would bring eight uh, cartons of uh, Klondikes. You know, uh,
3: do you know a Klondike? Yeah, like Klondike bar? Yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're, you know, they're from Pittsburgh originally. They I, are not, that. I, I never know, believe me. Um Yeah, but I don't I don't know. I, I I think I mean they are marketed nationally now, but they were originally a Pittsburgh thing. I didn't know that. From Isleys, yes. We all and, learned something to do. Um <laughs> In fact I can remember when they took the little polar bear and it said Isley's Klondike and they took that off at one point. Um but uh he would come and So I, I do know, but I don't think of the tea so much as I guess we just didn't have my, we made tea at home. Um, but now I'm I'm a big Turner's guy. Now I, you know, right. um, I, I had Turner's last night for dinner oh. with some Fiori's pizza, <laughs> which is funny because that guy from Barstool uh, Sportsbook, he went to Fiori's and he did a whole like second inter second review of Turner's tea because he said he couldn't believe that everybody who went in there got Turner's tea in a carton. He goes, in a carton? <laughs> he felt like he was in grade school drinking
1: milk, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, yeah. I know uh, Garrett had a few more questions for you, so I'm, Garrett, I'm gonna, I'm gonna toss it over to you. You've been quiet, you've been I, too I've been quiet.
3: I've <laughs> been That's why you're here. Right. No we, one wants to hear us talk, they can hear us talk any week think they want. I we tell
1: every one of our interviewers that. They're like, no, 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 we, we talk too much. I'm like, no, no. They, they hear us talk for hours every week. <laughs> Where's the news fans expect me to be quiet, so in all our office, viewers would like... enjoy it if we shut up
3: and listen more. Exactly. I think. Like...
2: <laughs> so I think I got a good question for you, one that you might be able to answer, all right. or you might have some trouble thinking of it. What is the like essential Pittsburgh experience that everyone should do while they're in the city?
0: Wow, well, that's a good question. But... And, I, and I'll answer it as though you asked it. If somebody came from out of town, where would you take them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if it was a weekday, if it was a weekend, if it was a Saturday, I'd go to the Strip. Because mm-hmm. I think that is a quintessential Pittsburgh experience, the Strip. And God knows how it's going to change with all that, with that new building with the, you know, the old produce terminal changed into suburban style stores. It, it could have a big effect. Um, but the, it's been delayed by the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. um, as far as like places I like to take people, I, this is odd, but two of them are churches. I, I like to take people to St. Anthony's Chapel on Troy Hill, um, which is where they have that incredible collection of holy relics mm-hmm. from Catholic saints. Just because it's so bizarre and so beautiful and so interesting and it's a great story and uh, the priest, and I'm going to say he's around 1900, I, I don't know, 1890s into the early 1900s, uh, Father Sweetbert Mullinger. isn't that funny that I remember that? He's <laughs> <laughs> from Holy Pittsburgh. Um, and he uh, he collected those relics. And there were rumors that he was the bastard child of Belgian royalty or something. So there was he had some private money. Um, But at the time, there were lots of churches in Europe that were struggling, and he would find them and buy their relics. And so on Troy Hill on the north side, he amassed one of the world's greatest collections of holy relics. And some people say second only to the Vatican in this tiny little chapel, um, which was connected to the rectory, so he could just walk over. And then so many people wanted to come there and see them, that it became a point of pilgrimage. And people who had, you know, incurable diseases and things that were looking for a miracle cure, they would come there. Um, I haven't been up in recent years enough to know whether there's still a little museum across the street, but they had, you know, uh, crutches and things that people had left there because they had been cured at St. Anthony's Chapel. But because so many people wanted to, he built more of a church on the, you know, leading up to the chapel. The chapel was still the little place where all the relics are. But then he built pews and so that you could have a mass there and all of that. And in there he put these German stations of the cross. You know, Jesus going up to the cross and everything and uh, they're life size. They're like something out of Disneyland. And they're really nice and they're very colorful and it's a great place to visit. And it's really like, wow. (laughs) And the outside is totally plain. You have no, when you walk in, it's like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> <clears> the <throat> same thing in Millvale, uh, if you can uh, get there, is uh, the, the Moxovanka murals that are inside... Uh, is it St. Anthony's, too? No. Uh, inside... Uh, the Moxa murals are inside St... Weird. I'm not remembering. Hmm. Could it be? No, I would remember with St. Anthony as well. But anyway, the church in Millvale sort of sits right by the river and sort of up above, first level up above uh, the base level of Millvale. Most holy name of Jesus? No. stuck on it. We can give it a quick Google wait, search okay, can, Wait a second, yeah. I can find this. If I just uh, Google Fonca <laughs> murals. Yeah, no um, worries. But uh, they, they are world class. I mean, and uh, just astounding uh, murals that were done in, in... I think they start maybe at the end of World War One, but they go into the period between the wars and maybe even a little later. Um, and uh, in recent years, there are a lot of people who've decided to uh, uh, restore them, light them. Now, when you go in, they're lit, and so you can see them even better. Um, uh, wants to find uh, some sort of.
3: Uh, oh, yeah, this isn't a good spot. It's for, like a bunker in here. Yeah, for, it's a bunker <laughs> in terms of service.
2: Yeah, they put all the news. Let me see if I have anything. They put all the news reporters in the one area where we can't oh, contact anyone. A
0: guest porter a portal and all. Aye, aye,
3: aye, aye. Oh, <laughs> our, our wonderful okay. uh, TD Try. up there, Mike Shuley, says it's St. I just closed the message like a dummy. Oh. St. Nicholas church? St. Nicholas,
0: yes. Very good. There we go. Thank um, you,
3: Michael Shuley.
1: Thank you, Mike Shuley.
0: <laughs> it was a Croatian Catholic church. Um, And uh, I love those, and I mean, I love Millvale. I I, I did a whole show uh, about Millvale, back when I was doing the show called It's Pittsburgh and a lot of other stuff. Um, And if you go to that church, you can see, um, I also did a show for that series called uh, The Dirty Dozen. I don't know if you know this, it's a bike race, not a bike race, but it's a bike ride up the 13 steepest hills in Pittsburgh. And St. Nicholas is at the bottom of one of those steep, steep hills, one of the worst. Um, and so you get, you get double joy <laughs> out of visiting that part of uh, Millvale. Um, but uh, I, David Byrne from Talking Heads, the lead singer and songwriter from Talking Heads, he wrote a book about riding his bike in cities around the world. And one chapter is on Pittsburgh. He he had a little portable uh, bike that he would take on the plane with him, and then he would use it when he got there, you know, because generally he'd be performing at night, and he'd have the day to sort of, you know, goof around and see things. And he said when he came to Pittsburgh, his one goal was to see the Moxovanka murals (laughs) at St. Nicholas. And uh, he goes, and he's, you know, he he said they're just, you know, amazing, and I don't know, have any of you seen them?
1: No. We've not? Uh-huh. It I mean, sounds like we're going to have to take a road trip, fellas. Yeah, we're going to do a lot
0: of places. I mean, just to give you an idea, there's a painting, a big painting, of Justice holding the scales, and she's wearing a gas mask because it was World War I. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, there's, you know, at the back, the the, the the Croatian mother prepares her sons for war, and there are these Croatian women and their sons are walking off to war. And then on the other side, in the corresponding back side of the church, the American mother prepares her sons for industry. And those boys are walking off towards the steel mills, just like those guys are walking off to war. So they're, they're, you know, political statements in murals inside a Catholic church. And I often think it's uh, because it was a Croatian Catholic church. Probably nobody was paying attention. And the priest there knew this guy who was a painter, and he got him to come over here and paint these murals. And he did it in two steps. There was like the first set of things and then the, the second set of murals. So it's 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 a, it's a an amazing place. That's one of the places I always want to take people. Um, for other reasons, I happened to drive up uh, McArdle Roadway, and I said, just turning onto Grandview, <clears throat> we take that totally for granted. If somebody comes to town, you have to take them up to Mount Washington or to the West End Overlook. Um, and I, I said to my friend I went to see up there, I said, you know, it, it still like takes your breath away. We have this view of the city that's incredible. Um, and it reminded me of... Uh, I'm going to say shortly after I came to Pittsburgh, so I'm going to guess around 1990, USA Today, they used to do a list every Friday in their sort of, you know, uh, features section. Uh, there were all kinds of crazy lists. I did one when I did an ice cream program. They asked me if I would contribute my top 10 ice cream places. Um, and they did one, the top 10 essential views of America. And number one was the Grand Canyon, which makes sense. Number two was Pittsburgh from Mount Washington at night. And you know, (laughs) I think it's one of those things we just take for granted. (laughs) Oh yeah, you can go up there and see the city. But it's just amazing that you can do that, and it's really great. So uh, that's another place I want to take people. But um, I know some friends from South Carolina were here, and we were talking, and I took them to the Oyster House down in Market Square. And uh, because, you know, I don't know anywhere else where you can get a fried oyster in that ball of dough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like a fried oyster, which you can get lots of places. It's, it's a big ball of dough with an oyster in the middle. Um, so I wanted them to experience those. And while we were there, they said, what else are we going to do? And the woman said, what are those little things that go up and down the hillsides? And I thought, like, wow, I didn't even think of the incline. I said, but that's the perfect thing. We're going to go ride the incline. And uh, so you know, we have two there on Mount Washington, the Monongahela incline that goes up and down to Station Square, and then the other one farther west, about a mile, a mile and a half west, is the Duquesne incline. And I'm partial to the Duquesne incline. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because it has the original cars. Those are the original vehicles. I mean, they've been restored and tended to and taken care of. And they have a good claim on being the oldest mass transit vehicles in operation in the world. And they're right here in Pittsburgh. And I think when you walk in, it smells like Kennywood. (laughs) That wood, you know, old wood and oil and all of that. And, you know, it's kind of like an amusement park ride. (laughs) Um, So, you know, uh, again... We take inclines for granted, so. But I think most people in cities often take those things for granted that make them really unique, and uh, you know, I guess part of my job is to say, "Hey, wait, you really should check this out again." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if
1: there's anything else?
2: Um, I think that's most of the questions that I had. And he answered a lot of the questions. He answered a lot of my questions as we were just talking. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm cool. obviously I'm a doc studies minor here at RMU, so. Okay just hearing about how you do that process always it I get a lot of joy out of that like hearing how you go out to have fun that's a good motto for pretty much anything including journalism just exactly
0: I mean yeah I mean and and to have that that attitude I mean I know we're not 60 minutes
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean yeah if 60 minutes shows up at your door you're scared but I I want to make sure that people understand and you know even what I've heard about, I've never actually experienced, but like if diners, drive-ins, and dives comes to your restaurant, they want you to close down for a day, let them come in and shoot for a day, and I then have another day in the kitchen or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they, they take over for a good two or three days. We just want you to go on and we try to make ourselves as, you know, we know that we're gonna be a bother, but we want things to be as normal as possible. Uh, we want to capture what normally goes on. So that's sort of the, uh, what we're trying to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, be documentarians. Yeah, yeah. You,
2: you want to get that reality for them and not the reality you're making.
0: <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, you know, we, we did a show on cemeteries. I don't think we, you know, uh, we knew that we would always find people in the cemeteries. And so we relied on that i mean we would talk to the people that run the cemetery because you've got to get permission to go in um but uh it was uh you know always an interesting thing and uh you know uh an odd topic but i really loved it i loved what we found out and things that i didn't know no one is buried in san francisco i don't know if you knew that i didn't know that yeah they they dug everybody up Around 1900, when they realized property is going to be really expensive here, mm-hmm. they dug everybody up and they moved them to a small town about 15 miles south of San Francisco called Colma. So that's where the grave, that's where the cemeteries are for San Francisco in this little town of Colma. <clears throat> and there's even part of it that's just a mass grave of people they didn't know who they were, you know, but they brought their bodies from San Francisco. And reburied them i think there's a small cemetery in san francisco on a military base Mm -hmm. but other than that no one's buried in san francisco and uh i I, it's funny because uh i was working on that a guy that i went to high school with in bethel park called me out of the blue said that uh, he was here in town Uh, one of his kids was auditioning for cmu for the music department he said, can we have lunch? And I said, sure. So at lunch, you know, we were talking, what are you working on? And I said, I'm starting work on a cemetery show. And he goes, well, I'm living in Alaska now. He and his wife both studied at Pitt, but they um, you know, specialized in uh, English as a second language. So they were teaching uh, native Alaskans English on an island <laughs> off the coast of Alaska. And I said, I, w- I would like to do a native cemetery. In Alaska, and he goes, "Oh, I know a guy that studies that at the University of Fairbanks." I said, "Oh, you know, could you connect us?" And he did. And so I talked to the guy, and he said, "So he said, you you want to fly in, you want to go to a town, and you want to you know shoot that day or the next day, and then leave." And I said, "Yes," and he goes, "Nobody will have you." He said, y- y- there's just no way that you can establish the rapport and the trust that they would need in order for you to come into their cemeteries. He said, but I live here in Fairbanks and my favorite cemetery is the Fairbanks City Cemetery and it has a native section and I bet they'd talk to you. I said, okay. And that day, I just re- I will remember for my whole life. It was just amazing. It was midsummer. It never got dark. And... Uh, we didn't realize that the wind was unusual, but there was a windy day. And everything in Alaska in the summertime grows big because the sun is out all the time. <laughs> so the grass was like up to your chest in the cemetery. And the wind would blow, and it would you know make these waves through the grass and everything. It was just really wonderful. And then the, guy who, the city guy who ran the cemetery, he had set up for us to meet some natives in the native section. And then he said, I would like to invite my minister 'Cause he does a lot of our burials. And I said, Great. Well he came and he was obviously an ex hippie and he had <laughs> curly hair down to about here and the wind blowing that his hair is just like flying <laughs> everywhere. It was just wonderful. You know, and it was a really great day. And I remember uh uh he 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 just was so inspirational and uh one of the native women said and she was the first person who had said this to us, this is You know, this is holy ground. And you know, we have to treat it as that. And they realized that what it was was a lot of people from small towns around Alaska come to Fairbanks and to the other big cities. And if they die there, if they don't have family to get back to, they end up being buried there. Uh, The natives bury all year round. But everybody else, the white folks, (laughs) if you die in the winter in Fairbanks, they put you in a uh, mausoleum in like a drawer until the spring comes when it's easier to dig a grave. So, you know, um, and it's all those wonderful things like that that are different in different places that we still love. I, I know there's a book um, called The Last Good Kiss by James Crumley. It's a, it's a detective novel, but someone in a bar there says, it doesn't matter where you live anymore, every place is the same and i said i think all my work is just to try and prove that wrong <laughs> it does matter where you live because there aren't still enough places that are unique to a certain location you know um so it's just uh,
3: <laughs> i'll do this as long as they let me
1: that's perfect that's what we want to hear <laughs> nick is there anything else you want to tell i had
3: two they're a little more generic but i think definitely um i think people would like to know um you've talked about how you don't make things necessarily that you feel are super important topics just like light good-hearted topics but is there anything left in your career after all that you've done that you say i really want to do this and tell people about this before i mean, i'm done doing it
0: <laughs> i'm afraid i uh, you know i i don't want to seem flip but just during the pandemic a friend in savannah had sent me some stuff and i thought I want to do a show about fried chicken. That's I just think incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just think it's a great topic. And I, have for a long time, wanted to do a, a, an update. In Pittsburgh, I'm most known for Kennywood Memories. But in the PBS world, I'm most known for a hot dog program. And that's 25 years old now. So I think it's time to do another hot dog program. Maybe we could do fried chicken on the side. And, <laughs> Can I, you know, do uh, vegetarian treats on the, for the third one or something?
1: <laughs> uh, I just want to interject real fast because Nick uh, introduced me to a fantastic type of hot dog over, over the Hummer. Uh, in Erie, there's Smith's Hot Dogs. It's not like a restaurant. It's just a brand of hot dogs. So oh, it's I know not Smith's like one well. of those hidden gems. Yeah. What do you think about Smith's? Because I, I was blown away the first time I had one of those. The hot dogs are great. This answer means a lot to me. That
3: I hope that doesn't add any pressure. But this <laughs> means a lot to me in my whole childhood.
0: Well, at my Giant Eagle. Uh-oh. The only natural casing hot dogs you can get are Smith's. If I'm gonna eat a hot dog, I want it to have a natural casing. Yes. <laughs> I want it to have a snap. Uh-huh. Most hot dogs in the grocery store are skinless, but Smith's makes natural casing dogs. In fact, there's, there's a package of them in my freezer right now. And I don't know how widely Smith's are uh,
1: distributed. I don't, I don't think
3: it's... very far.
1: I had never heard of them until we went on a camping trip over the summer.
3: I think the Pirates might sell Smiths now, but Maybe. I don't quote me on that. I know someone down here that's somewhat notable sells them. Their <coughs> hot dog brand is Smiths, but I don't know if it's a team or some other rather large um, corporation down here uses them.
1: Right, but for, from what I've gathered, it's it's mostly an Erie thing. Yeah, right? it's
3: it's up for
0: well, but ear. I mean they're they're Northwest, predominant
1: in here too. Mm-hmm. I mean.
0: Um, you can get Silver Star hot dogs, which used to be in McKee's Rocks. They don't make anything here in Pittsburgh now. I think it's all made in Michigan. But it still has the McKee's Rocks name on it and stuff like that, uh, Silver Star. Um, for many years, they made the hot dogs at the O. Um, and uh, you know, one of the reasons I love the O was they used natural casing wieners. If you've got an all beef hot dog at the O, it was skinless. But if you just got their hot dog, which was pork and beef and whatever. <laughs> um, but now that the O is gone, uh, there's like new status. I, I, My favorite toppings on a hot dog in the Pittsburgh area are Jim's hot dogs in West Mifflin. Um, it's on Skyline Drive, sort of like you drove past Kennywood <laughs> and then uh, there's a big, steep hill that goes up the side uh, just before you get to the McKeesport Bridge. But you want to go the other way, away from McKeesport, up up into West Mifflin. Jim's is up there, Jim's Hot Dogs. And uh, they serve only Smiths, but they're all skinless. I say if they were, I, they're so careful and so meticulous about the toppings they put on these hot dogs. If they had natural casing hot dogs, there would be no question they had the best hot dog in <laughs> But they, they're they all Smiths and they're very, you know, proud of their connection to Smiths. Um, when we were doing the hot dog program and we were editing it, we'd shot everything already. We were sitting in the editing room. You know, and sometimes uh, schools would send a class to come through WQED and see the Mr. Rogers studio and that kind of stuff and they, somebody brought them down into where we were editing. and. They thought it was kind of fun we were making a show about hot dogs kids would like that you know so we we explained what we were doing and showed them a little piece and one of the mothers who was with those kids said what'd you do in detroit and i said uh you know we can we only have an hour i said we didn't go to detroit she goes you're doing a show about hot dogs and you didn't go to detroit <laughs> we have a great hot dog manufacturer there called kowalski's and The next day, or two days later, a a, a package—a 15-pound package of Kowalski's hot dogs, all natural casing—came into the editing. 15 pounds of hot dogs.
3: Heck of a camping trip for me.
0: (laughs) We we were able to give hot dogs to everybody, but it was really fun, and they were delicious. And that's one of the things I learned about doing the hot dog program: is there are these small meat packing plants across America that probably make the best hot dogs. You know and and there really is no still no great hot dog chain
3: and now i have to ask you the most important question i think of the whole afternoon and that's not to diminish what you two have asked but you also presented this in a documentary you did north side sandwiches where you say all these sandwich names then you say and hot dogs if you consider those a sandwich so in your opinion <laughs> are hot dogs a sandwich yes i
0: think they're a kind of sandwich Ooh, bold take. Yeah,
3: yeah. I want to hear I would oh, I, mean, I, think I, don't th- I don't know if
1: I disagree. This is I, something I, I, talk I don't about. have an opinion on the
3: topic. I just yeah, know I just it's a hot topic. I mean, it is a hot topic. It is. It's, it's very. Hot? It's yeah. a hot dog topic. Oh, are <laughs> I was who, hoping we were on the same wavelength. Here's here's here's
0: a guy who did two documentaries. one right, Called yeah, yeah. sandwiches that you will like, and one called a hot dog program. Um, I don't include any hot dogs in the sandwich program, but a meat between two pieces of bread, I think that's a sandwich. I'll take it i respect and, that and yeah, from the
1: expert himself and so <laughs> I,
0: I think a hot dog is a kind of sandwich in the biggest sense of sandwich
3: um i'll, I'll prove that answer <laughs> <laughs> my my last question for you was but all the work you've done i mean what's the most rewarding part of it for you is it hearing the stories of people thinking back to their youth is it people seeing maybe something they thought held a big part in their heart maybe he- that they thought held a small part in other people's hearts, and you report on it, and it turns out a whole community and maybe section of a state enjoys it, or maybe even the nation enjoys something they thought they were alone and enjoying. What's the most rewarding part of what you do?
0: Oh, that's, you know, um,
3: it sounds like you want me to take it that way, but I want to take it a
0: different way. That,
3: that's fine. I'm I, a very I dramatic think most, person, I and think, you're, you're like, all my work's very lighthearted, and I'm here trying no, to pick No, I think the most satisfying strength.
0: thing to me is... That I get to make something, and you know, like finishing a show, it's such a joy, but it's also such a sorrow because it's over, you know. And um, what I'm most lucky, and I'm very grateful for, is that people seem to appreciate that and the way we put these together, and you know, and I love that, and and I love that, you know, people recognize me and say, "Hey, I love your shows." Um, and, you know, people say, like, don't you get tired of that? I said, well, how could you ever get tired of that? You know, people saying, I really like what you do. And, um, you know, uh, even with the mask on, people recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I enjoy that. And, you know, uh, I can't, I mean, I shouldn't say this. No, I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know that anyone's ever said, uh, you know, come up to me and say like, you know, I hate those things you do. You know, no one ever says that. It's all nice, It's all good. And uh, I realize it's a weird niche in television production. Um, most you know avenues lead you into the news, or most documentaries take a far more serious tone. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to sort of figure out that, hey, we could we can make celebratory documentaries that people like. And so we celebrate Pittsburgh. And then, on the side, we get to celebrate certain aspects of American culture that I think are also slightly uh, forgotten sometimes. I mean, I've gotten to do a show on flea markets, which I love. (laughs) Um, We got to travel the country just going to flea markets. I mean, amongst the crew, we still talk about that show a lot. Um, You know, and, uh, you know, how can I complain? Ice cream, hot dogs, sandwiches, bakeries, pies. Um, a lot of food, but then other other things were not food. So, uh, but I, I I always take uh, solace in uh, the, the the poet W. H. Auden. He said that, uh, and it's funny because I thought about this recently. Uh, he said, "We we put statues up to the wrong people. We should put statues up only to great chefs, because <laughs> they bring such joy." And he also wrote a thing about. That if someone says i don't care about food he said how can you care about anything if you don't care about food which keeps you alive so you know sometimes people say aren't you a little obsessed with food and all that you know <laughs> and i say no i mean it's so important and no matter what you do you're going to find food we did a cemetery show i didn't know it but when we went to atlanta there's a there's a we we went to atlanta to it's called oakland which is you know, a little confusing for Pittsburghers, but the Oakland Cemetery in Atlanta is full. You can't get buried there, it's full. But you know, people come and tour it because it's old and Margaret Mitchell who wrote Gone with the Wind is buried there and several other very famous people. So we went to get that and we were doing the story and everything and then I realized across the street, there is a restaurant called Six Feet Under.
1: <laughs> oh, that's oh. <laughs> it was just
0: it was, it was so perfect. I said, "Hey, we're we're doing something there before we leave," <laughs> and we went and had dinner, and it was great. So I said tomorrow, and I talked to the owner, and I said we want to come talk a little bit, and so we included them in the show. But I mean, because how much fun is that? That across the street from a cemetery, there's a restaurant called Six Feet Under.
1: So didn't work that much. The ideal it. world. <laughs> I have uh, two more questions for you, and then right. we'll sort of wrap up. I, I don't want to keep you. Too long but it's great having you it's great being here um for us i mean at least for me i don't want to speak on all three of our behalf but i grew up you know watching mr rogers right Mm -hmm. and you got to be in a world where you could see the production of going on there and know people involved in the production and stuff like that so for people who grew up with mr rogers can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like to be working alongside that production well I mean, you know, yeah, because
0: I went to school in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I didn't really know what I was going to do. I started, like, as a double major in English and theater. But my freshman year, um, as a theater student, you had to go be talent for a TV workshop which was in a totally different department in, uh, at the college, at the university. And when I went there, I, I just thought, oh, this teacher is so good. I want to take his class. And they said, well, in order to take his class, you have to be a major in television. And I thought, well, you know, I don't care. <laughs> so I changed my major to English and television, and I started taking that guy's classes. Um, and it just, uh, I, at that point, people started to know that I was interested in television. My mother saw an, an article in the Pittsburgh paper. Mr. Rogers' original partner, I mean, co producer from WQED, Josie Carey, had just started a children's show in South Carolina. I was in school in North Carolina, but I was, oh, South Carolina, North Carolina, what's the difference? Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, I, my mother sent me this article out of the Pittsburgh press, the old press, and she said you should send her a letter. So I wrote a letter and said, hey, I remember you from Pittsburgh television, and uh, I'm interested in working, could you take me on as a summer intern? And she responded and said, you know, yeah, why, why don't you come down on your spring break, we want to meet you. So I did that, I went down on my spring break, I met them, and they said, yeah, we'll take you on. And so, uh, I had that connection of Josie, and she had worked, she had been co-producer with Fred of the first television show that Fred made, which was called Children's Corner. She and Fred were co-producers of Children's Corner. You never saw Mr. Rogers, you just saw Josie. Um, so I had that as sort of a background. And then when I got this job at QED, Josie was not friendly with QED at that point. You know, she wasn't a, it didn't help me get in the door. <laughs> um, And uh, I can remember the first time I got on the elevator with Fred, you know, and I said, you know, Mr. Rogers, I just started, but I've I've been working for several years with Josie in South Carolina. And, you know, uh, he was like, wow, cool. You know, we've both done puppets with Josie Carey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then one of the first things I was assigned was to do a show with Fred, about Fred, for the 20th anniversary of his national show. So he was already a superstar when I got to QED. And that's always cool to have a superstar, you know, that uses the same men's room that you do on the second floor, (laughs) that kind of a thing. Um, And uh, so uh, the thing was, and somebody said this in that documentary that I made back then, uh, you know, people say, is he the same? Well, he is the same, but with an adult sensibility. It wasn't like he talked to you as though you were a preschooler, you know, but he was a kind, considerate man who usually flipped the interview <laughs> he, you know, you start to ask questions. He said, like, I want to know more about you. And you know, that kind of a thing. That was just a technique that he was famous for. In fact, I think it's even referenced in that Hollywood movie that was made, you know, the, the writer from Esquire is trying to find out, you know, he's come to Pittsburgh to find out about Mr. Rogers and all Mr. Rogers wants to talk about is him and his <laughs> family problems, that kind of a thing. So, um, it, uh, but you know, uh, It was special and i think it was just cool and you know and the people that came to be on the show winton marsalis and you know all kinds of very famous people would come in to be on the mr rogers show so that was very cool too um and uh you know it it, it's left a mark that you still feel you know um and i think you know pittsburghers will be eternally grateful i think it's funny that we don't have a sign we used to have one of those dinosaurs out front they had a you know, Mr. Rogers thing that was holding King Friday puppet. We don't have that anymore. They moved it over to the south side when they moved their offices over there. Um, I think a lot of students from CMU who pass by every day don't realize all the Mr. Rogers shows were done in this building. <laughs> you know, There's no sign that says that. We have a historic marker, but it's for WQED being one of the first educational stations in the country. Um, We were the first community-sponsored public television stations. There were other public television stations. We weren't the first public television station. We were the first community-sponsored where they went around door-to-door and got people's quarters and nickels and things (laughs) like that. Um, So um, it's a a great place to work, and it's got a great history, and it's like Pittsburgh in that sense, you know? Um, It's just just, uh, a surprise, and, uh, you know, I can't complain.
1: I got one more, and then, like I said, we'll wrap up. I'll give you a little, we'll let you talk more about WQED (laughs) and stuff like that. I want to hear more about what's to come with Rick. But before we get there, um, we're located, you know, right here in the heart of Moon Township. And as someone who knows the area like the back of his hand, is there any hidden gem in Moon Township that we should know about, whether that be food or just a cool location that we could visit, anything like that? Huh. I thought of something as I was driving up here today. Um... The very
0: first program I did in Pittsburgh was a half-hour program called Transplant Town, Um, because in 1987, when I moved back to Pittsburgh, more organ transplants were done in Pittsburgh than in the rest of the world combined, which is like startling. (laughs) We were the city that led the way with organ transplants. I think the first heart transplant is done in South Africa. The first liver transplant is done in Denver by Dr. Starzl, who was then stolen away from the Denver to come here to Pittsburgh, and Dr. Starzl uh, was the star. But the man who brought him here, Dr. Henry Bonson, he was also very important in this whole thing of developing Pittsburgh as a transplant center. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, as part of that, I you know, I'm assigned when I first got here, you're going to have to do this thing because uh, there's a, there was an organization called TRIO, I don't even know if it still exists, Transplant Recipients International Organization. And they were going to have a world meeting here in Pittsburgh. And WQED wanted to have a program for those days when TRIO was here in Pittsburgh. So the, when I first came here, they said, your first thing is going to be about organ transplants in Pittsburgh. And, uh, just in you know doing some of the research and everything, I found out about this organization uh, called those who wait and you know it comes from the biblical quote about "Good things come to those who wait i think that 's the bible um, and uh, what they did was uh, a flight attendant at the airport uh, Realized people were flying into Pittsburgh from all over the world for organ transplants, and the patient was taken care of. They was whisked away to the hospital. <coughs> Excuse me, but the uh, the families weren't taken care of. They needed help. They needed to find a place to be. You know, <coughs> and they need to get to the from the airport into town, and Uh, She started this organization, called Those Who Wait, at her church in Moon Township. So that's what I was thinking, I mean, I believe it's the church that you pass by as you come down University Drive or whatever, it's a red brick church on the right, but she went to her church and said, these people need help, and so they started this organization which became, and I can remember saying to them when I finished my show, if I could start all over, I would make the show just about Those Who Wait. Because it was such an interesting thing. It was all volunteers. They had three different things. You could be a driver, and they got a lot of retired old men to be drivers who would just drive people from the airport into a hotel or a motel. Um, you could be what they called a day friend, and uh, that was just you would go to the hospital and meet somebody and give them somebody to talk to because some of the times they hadn't talked to anybody for a long time. Or you could be a host family and have another family stay in your house. (coughs) But I just thought it was such a wonderful organization. And uh, they uh, moon township. That's what it means to me. So uh, the uh, (laughs) I became a day friend. (laughs) And I remember this guy Gene Voidick. His wife needed a bone marrow transplant. And they called me from the organization. They said, a a social worker called and she said, this guy, he's from eastern Pennsylvania, but he's been here in town for like five or six weeks. He just goes to the hospital. He sits in his wife's room, you know, um, and we asked him if if we got you somebody, could you go to lunch or something like that? And I said, sure. So I walked from QED down to Presby, maybe Montefiore. I'm not sure. And I met Gene, and his wife was in a tent because she was awaiting a bone marrow transplant. Um, and uh, they couldn't find a match. And so uh, I said to this guy, I said, uh, you know, well, let's go to lunch. I think we went to the O. <laughs> and then I said, and I'll just let you know, I don't know if this interests you or not, but Mr. Rogers is in the studio today. It was a very special day. Uh, there was, he, he had gone to Russia. And he did a show in Moscow with a children's show there. And this day, that woman had come to Pittsburgh to be on his show. And he said, Oh, I would love to meet Mr. Rogers. And I said, No, no, (laughs) you will not meet Mr. Rogers. (laughs) He said, We can go see what's going on. And he said, Oh, I'd like to do that. So we walked down to QED and uh, we went in, and there was no one in the studio. I said, What's going on? They said, Oh, uh, tatiana that was the woman tatiana wanted to go to mcdonald's for lunch so they treated the whole crew (coughs) excuse me but fred was a vegetarian and when we went in the studio i said well we can go in and see fred was there so gene met mr rogers and mr rogers talked to him for a whole hour (laughs) which is just what he needed (laughs) So it was a really wonderful thing and that's the kind of things that serendipity that could happen with that organization those who wait so i blame moon township for that
1: fellas anything else you'd like to add no all right. more than enough that was that was a
3: great story i never knew about that i didn't either you two know about me so i mean to know that something like that happens here is pretty
1: cool right i feel like we've all uh Left with a lot more knowledge than we came in. I feel so Rick. much smarter
3: right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to Giant Eagle to get a
3: prescription. I'm going to the hot dog shop right across the street. <laughs> if oh. you get your flu shot, oh, you get $5 off groceries.
1: Well, boys, I know what we're doing today. <laughs> <laughs> flu go? shots, Giant Eagle, hot dog <laughs> You want to go? I'm down. Okay. Hey, yeah, I got my flu shot at the Giant Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, I want to thank you so much for being on today. Hey, I thank you for having me. You're you're a fantastic. Is there names at this show? Uh, where's, where's the, the news? news?
0: Where's the news? Where is the news? Well, that's why we're here. We're trying. That's to That's why out. we show up every week. We <laughs> try to help people
2: find it.
1: We're always searching high and low for the news. Right, because it's, it's never truly found. Right, it's always an ongoing search. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, can you just before before we conclude, can you tell us? you know, where we can find what you're doing, what's next to come for you, social media tags, anything like that?
0: Um, I still don't know what's happening next. Uh, you know, I, I turned in a big proposal to PBS uh, just before the pandemic hit. So it, it's, it's like lots of things. It's in limbo. Um, but I, I proposed, uh, I think, four, half, or four hours on numbered highways. Um, just because I've always said that I think if I could do a show about anything, it would be highways for the rest of my life, <laughs> because <laughs> everything's on a highway. And I had so much, try, I had so much fun doing Route 88. Um, I still do, I putz around my house, I, I shoot things with my phone, um, I've learned how to use the GoPro a little bit better, so <laughs> I'm going to try and actually, I, I made this weekend try to get down to the Smithfield Street Bridge and get some stuff with the GoPro because back when we did my show on bridges, we didn't have a GoPro, <laughs> um, and uh, so I mean, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, uh, I'm sort of maxed out with friends on Facebook, but there's a fan page with same Rick Seaback, just Rick Seaback, um, uh, and I'm Rick Seaback on Instagram and. On Twitter, I'm uh, at Rick around here. Um, just because that, I guess that was the first social media I was on. <laughs> and uh, Dave Hallowell and Dave Rhodes, who at the time were doing a set of shows called Dave and Dave at QED, they said oh, it was better to have a fun name. So I always like I did a show called Houses Around Here, and I always thought you know that's really what I deal with things around here. So it's Rick Around Here on fa- on Twitter. So um, you know and i and i you know anything that i'm doing i post to those places right so not
1: always the same but (laughs) it's often the same (laughs) great we'll stay up to date on those rick thank you again one more time be sure to check them out on social media i
0: also like to tell people you know now on qed there's a lot of my shows uh, pittsburgh history series shows on our website if you go to wqed.org and just scroll down until you see the logo that says pittsburgh history series i think there's probably 10 or 15 there Um, And uh, all the NEBBY programs are on our website, they're also all on YouTube, and many of the shows are on YouTube, if you find the title, not always legally, but I don't think we've done a lot to stop them. I know that, like, the hot dog program is on
1: YouTube, not put up there by us. Um, But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Well, I mean, on top of those social media tags, be sure to keep up with WQED and keep an eye on the YouTube page, and maybe Excellent. you'll find more of Rick's work. Becky, you very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: And I think I need to go get a hot dog because uh, that interview made me quite hungry.
1: I got to say, we went to the hot dog shop immediately after. And I would much rather go to one of the, like, unique hot dog areas that he talks about in his shows. And also, I mentioned a few in the interviews. Um, we would have much rather gone there. But, I mean, we kind of just had stuff to do that day, I think. So we didn't have the time to make the trek out somewhere. But that could be fun. Let's go to one of those hot dog places and uh, report on that. I think it'd be a good time.
2: We'll call it the, what's hot with hot dogs? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Dear God. What's hot, comma, dog? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, um, like, like we mentioned, this is gonna be a longer episode and uh, that's why we gave him this one the entire thing and he deserves it and uh one last time from us we probably said it at the end of the interview but just in the official studio right now uh we want to thank rick for coming on and we hope you enjoyed and we'll resume our regular episodes this week probably be up around the time of this interview and that's all for us take care